Hiya, handsome. Come to join the party. Hey, party people. Welcome to the Patrama Party, where we get super dressed up and talk to people all night with salad in our teeth. So grab your fancy dress and your floss and let's get into it. I'm your host, Remy Ramirez. And before we get into it, one logistical thing, a listener recently asked me to do a Q&A episode where you ask me whatever questions you want from like trauma related questions to like, what's your favorite color or whatever. So send me your questions at patramaparty at gmail.com or you can DM them to me on Insta. Okay. Now we'll really get into it. This week, we're talking about taking things personally. The other day, I posted this thing to the Patrama Insta story, and it was this therapist being like, don't tell me not to take things personally when it's personal to me, (laughs) which I was like, yeah, that's a super relatable come from. And it's how I feel all the time. Like, I fucking hate when people are like, I'm not responsible for your feelings. It's like, aren't you, though? (laughs) You know, if you're being a dick and it upsets me, then... Yes, that is personal and I am pissed. But then again, some of the biggest breakthroughs I've had have been around realizing that someone's bullshit isn't about me at all. And other times people aren't being dicks and I still take it personally. (laughs) So it's complicated, which is why I'm so glad to welcome marriage and family therapist Renee Tate back to the pod to talk us through this and help us get some perspective. Hi, Renee. Hey, Remy. (laughs) How are you? I am well. I'm well. Yay. And honestly, like, I just truly am thrilled to have you. I love when you're on. I love talking to you. You came on for the intergenerational trauma episode and the complex PTSD episode. So you're a Patrama pro at this point. To get us started, let's remind everyone of your chart. You're a Cap Sun, Leo Moon, Virgo rising. So we're about to enter your moon's peak season, Leo season. Do you normally find that Leo season feels good for you? It does, actually. It's a season where I'm wanting to be out more and like I'm more in tune with like my needs and my wants and my desires. And so emotionally, because coming off of a cancer season, like it's like this is the season where I'm like really diving into it. And then Leo is where I come out and I show the world (laughs) like this is what I discovered when I was in my murky water. (laughs) So like, here we go. (laughs) So I have a Gemini rising and then there's Gemini season, which is like, that is my fucking season. Like, finally, we're coming out of the cold. We're like about to get into summer. It feels so good. And then like cancer season shows up and I'm like, uh, (laughs) and then, and then Leo season comes in and I'm like, what, wait, what was I crying about? I'm good. I am that bitch. Yeah. I am hundred percent that bitch. Yes, exactly. Fuck yeah. Well, good. I'm so glad. And I'm also so glad to get into this with you. I'm going to jump in with my thoughts on the topic. While I do that, feel free to intercede with like thoughts, feelings, stream of consciousness babbling, you know, if the need should arise, or you can just chill out, drink a kombucha, pull some tarot cards, whatever you want to do. Either way, in the end, I'll turn some questions over to you. How does that sound? That sounds great. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Cool. Okay, here we go. So, of course, when you're a child, there's not really a version of you that could possibly not take things personally. It's actually like psychologically impossible for children not to make things about themselves. And that includes abuse. And that was almost completely true for me, except for one moment that I can remember that's sort of a halfy. And here's what I mean. When I was like four or five, my mom had a meltdown. My mom has her own mental health struggles. And on this particular day, she was upset that the house wasn't clean. And she started beating her head on the wall and kicking the wall and screaming at the top of her lungs over and over. God fucking damn it. I wish I'd never had kids. And I remember sitting on the couch very quietly thinking, she doesn't mean it. She doesn't mean it. She doesn't mean it. And actually semi-recently, my sister brought up that moment and told me that I was saying that out loud, that I was saying it to my sister, which I don't remember at all. But apparently I was trying to convince both of us that what was happening wasn't about us, that what she was saying wasn't true. By the way, this isn't really not taking something personally, because in this moment I was fully fucking traumatized, but I was lying to myself about my mom's response in an attempt to make it not personal to me, to make it not mean what it meant. Of course, you know, my mom's meltdown wasn't about us per se. I mean, children are disgusting slobs, but an emotionally healthy parent wouldn't respond to a mess that way, you know, at least not where their children could see it. When I think about that now, I think about the ways that children in abusive homes have to do these mental acrobatics to survive their situations. And sometimes in an attempt to make something not personal to us as children, we lie to ourselves about what's happening right in front of us, or we dissociate from the situation to try to escape it and make it not feel real, not feel personal to us. And we lose touch with the reality of the moment so that it doesn't feel like your mother screaming in your face that she wishes she'd never had you, right? When I was repeating that over and over that she didn't mean it and it wasn't personal to us, it was so that my brain could drown out the terrifying scene in front of me. And as I got older, 
I would try similar things to make my mom's abuse okay so that I didn't have to feel the feelings of the abuse and so that so that I could keep the relationship with my mom that I so desperately needed as a child. But it's weird, right? Because my mom was super abused. And for the most part, that moment when I was four was about my mom and her mental health. It wasn't about me. And at the same time, when you're a child and you get in the habit of tricking yourself or lying to yourself or dissociating from someone's abuse in an attempt to make it not personal to you, you get in the habit of thinking that your feelings don't really matter or that you don't know what the truth is. So this is how it works. You go, mom doesn't mean this. She just had a mean dad who hit her a lot. And that's what this is about. I know she actually loves me a lot and is so happy that I was born. And then you grow up and someone treats you like shit and you go, they don't really mean it. They just had a hard childhood. They actually love me a lot. Or you go, this isn't really happening. I'm just misunderstanding. I don't know how things work. I'm sure everything's fine. So I wanted to name that because your parents' abuse may not have actually been personal to you, but the impact it has on you is personal as fuck. And when we try to make it not personal as children, which is a perfectly healthy and necessary survival strategy, what happens is that we get set up for abuse as adults. So that's the first thing I wanted to name in terms of trying not to take things personally as a child. But then, of course, there were the ways that I fully took things personally that weren't personal to me when I was a kid. I could name tons of examples of this. But the first one that came to mind for me was this memory from when I was, I think I was 12. My mom was always very open about her personal struggles throughout my childhood she told us early on about her abusive childhood, about the sexual assault she experienced, about problems she had with her boyfriend, you know, at the time while she was an adult, about how stressed and resentful she was about being a single mom, et cetera, et cetera. And the holidays were particularly bad, Christmas especially. So I remember when I was 11, my mom just cried all day on Christmas. And my response to my mom's parentification, by the way, that form of abuse is called parentification, where they sort of treat you like an adult and emotionally outpour on you as if you could handle all the information about their abuse and their struggles with their boyfriend, et cetera. My response to that was to take it absolutely personally and try to fix it all for her. When I was little and she would cry and say, why doesn't your father love me? Why doesn't any man love me? I would say... I love you, mom. I'll be your boyfriend. And then I would go to bed and pray and pray and pray that God would send my mom a boyfriend. Like it was my job to figure this out, which I think is the the natural response that kids have, right? Like they want to fix it and it feels like it's on them to find the solution. So anyway, fast forward, I'm 11, it's Christmas. I'm feeling great. But then Instead of us making cider and having a big dinner and watching a movie or whatever, I'm just consoling my mom for hours while she sobs over how sad the holidays are for her, which, you know, as an 11 year old, I interpreted that as my mom is sad, but if I just did the right thing, she'd be happy. It's my job to fix this fucking dumpster fire of a holiday. So after that Christmas, I spent the whole year saving up all my babysitting money and then I spent every penny of it on gifts for my mom. So now 
it's Christmas day the next year I'm 12 and I just keep pulling another present and another present and another present out because as parentified and, or, you know, abused children were raised to feel like our parents' struggles are about us. It's personal. We're the problem. And so we're also the solution. And by the way, we did have a better Christmas that year, but only kind of. And I came out of it feeling really exhausted. Like I just felt spent, which is how I ended up feeling sort of in general with my mom, because I took on so much of her pain, made it personal to me and tried to fix it. And in some ways, that was also how my relationship with my dad looked. But there wasn't anything specific that I could do about it with my dad. So I just tried serious people pleasing. My dad was either totally disengaged from us or he was raging. There were some moments when my dad was like nice or fun, but they were almost exclusively when he was high or drunk, which was confusing because I was in dare, which like if you grew up in the eighties and nineties, you remember was the drug awareness resistance education program. So I knew that drugs were illegal and I knew that getting wasted was bad, but then he was only nice when he was stoned or had been drinking. So I took that on too, similar to the way I tried to fix my mom's life because it felt like his well-being was personal to me. So one night I poured all his beer out because I thought it was my job to protect him from his addiction, right? Like his addiction was about me. And another time, like I arranged all his drugs for him in the morning before he woke up so that they would be all prepped and laid out for him when he got up. So like I I couldn't pick a lane, right? I was sort of all over the place, just desperately trying to figure out what to do to make my dad's life okay so that he would love me. There were other ways though that I took my dad's dysfunction personally. Mostly it was like, there's something really wrong with me. And that's why my dad yells at me and criticizes me and doesn't want to hug me and doesn't love me the way that other little girls' dads love them. So I just have to be really perfect and then I'll be able to get his love. I thought my dad raging at me and ignoring me was personal to me, especially when I was like sort of prepubescent, you know, like from the ages of like nine to 13, that's when that, that thought really got solidified for me. And so I tried perfectionism. So he wouldn't criticize me. I tried people pleasing. So he wouldn't yell at me. I tried overachieving. So he would like see me and be proud of me. I tried sort of disappearing and staying silent and like not voicing when I was too cold in the car or not voicing when he would get high and tickle me. And it hurt because like in my mind, it was my fault that my dad didn't love me. And it was my job to fix myself, to make him love me in whatever new way that meant in the moment. So I came into adulthood feeling like people treating me badly was about me and something I needed to fix in order to get the love that I wanted. I was so mesmerized by women who were cheated on or lied to or whatever. And then they walked away and were like, fuck you, bro. Because to me, another person's lying or cheating or whatever it was, criticizing me, neglecting me, ignoring me, that wasn't a reflection of their inadequacy or their being emotionally stunted, right? Like that was a reflection of the fact that I hadn't done the right thing to make them want me to, you know, like to make these guys happy. I remember my boyfriend in high school broke up with me out of nowhere. Things had been going great. And then he just broke up with me without any explanation. Years later, I found out it was because he cheated on me. And I was super broken hearted and fucked up over it. And then like six months later, 
he asked me back out. And instead of being like, mm, I don't know, you know, like, let's talk about this. Let me feel out this situation because you dropped me out of nowhere. I didn't even say yes to him. He asked me back out and I immediately kissed him because by asking me back out, he was affirming that I was lovable. And the truthy truth, truth, like the gross truth that I don't want to tell anyone because I want to be a good feminist and a strong woman and whatever, is that that shit didn't stop in high school. All the way through my 30s, I would do that shit. A guy would make a dick move and I would just let him back in immediately because those moves weren't about him in my mind. They were a, a reflection of me. I took them personally. So let's get into like full on adulthood. There's been tons of ways that taking things personally showed up in my life as an adult. And I've talked about this before, but when I was 18, which is, I guess is like barely adulthood, but I guess it counts. I was dating that same boyfriend that I was just talking about and he cheated on me again. All my friends knew about it. Emotional devastation, terrible time in my life. I took him cheating very personally. I thought if I had been prettier or thinner, it never would have happened. So what did I do? I stopped eating. I became anorexic and lost a bunch of weight. That guy would later be diagnosed as on the sociopathic scale by his therapist. So suffice to say, him being a chronic cheater and compulsive liar had nothing to do with how much I weighed or how I looked or anything about me at all. But my childhood had really primed me to take other people's actions as personal to me in some way. I remember a few years ago, I was talking to my therapist and I was saying that I felt like I didn't know how to flirt or talk to men and that I always ruined it by being upfront with them. I didn't know how to play the game. I didn't know how to play hard to get. And so that's why I was undesirable to men. And the reason we were talking about that at the time was because I'd been talking with this guy who I'd known a very long time and had had a crush on. And suddenly he started saying things that made me feel like he really liked me. He told me I'd left an indelible mark on his soul and all this other stuff. But then he pulled back as soon as he started like unleashing the stuff he pulled back and I got really anxious about it and was just like, okay, here's how I feel. I like you. I want to hang out. I'm not saying I want monogamy or anything like that. I'm just saying, if you want to see if this could go somewhere, let's hang out. And after I did that, he was like, lol, what? Oh, sorry. You must've misunderstood me when I said that I just want to hold you in my arms all night. <laughs> he was like, I mean, I think you're cool, but not like that. And I felt really stupid. I felt like an idiot. I felt like I had messed this up. I should have played it cool. I should have backed off. I should have been a mysterious seductress or whatever. And my therapist was like, when he did that, when he was hot and cold with you, when he pretended like he wasn't interested once you showed your cards, he showed you who he was. Who he is isn't personal to you. He showed you that he's the kind of guy who plays games. He's the kind of guy who toys with a woman for her attention without any real regard for the impact he's having on her emotional well-being. He's showing up as selfish and dishonest, and that's not about you. If you had tried to play the game, you'd still be giving your time and energy to someone who's just about himself. And I am telling you, 
Not a single one of those thoughts had occurred to me before that moment. (laughs) In my mind, everything was my fault. It was about something I had done wrong. And certainly growing up with such constant rejection from my dad, 100 set me up to feel like men rejecting me was about me. Because when you're six and your dad says he's going to pick you up and he doesn't come and he doesn't call and he just fucking leaves you there, you're not like, wow, my dad sucks or like, whoa, my dad's a narcissist and a flake or, or my dad's struggling with addiction and this isn't about me. Instead, you're like, why am I not important enough for my dad to give a fuck? And over time, that neural pathway gets paved, honey, you know, asphalt, a median, a fucking carpool lane, like that neural pathway straight up becomes a freeway. And then a fucking dude or whoever you're into, you know, shows up and dicks you around. And you're like, vroom, vroom, motherfuckers. Like, I know this neural freeway, like the back of my hand. This is personal. This is about me. Another piece of this that I've noticed in my own life is, and I I think so many of us can relate to this, but when you grow up around scary, verbally violent or physically violent, unpredictable parents, you get so good at reading people's emotions and being super sensitive to when those emotions are off. Coworkers, friends, friends of friends who you don't even know very well, the person bagging your groceries, right? Like literally anyone. A lot of people call that empathy. But for me, it's not really empathy. It's like trauma-induced emotional hypervigilance, you know? And when someone's off, I notice that and I take it personally a lot. I'll think it's about me because that's what I did when I was little. I learned to survive my house by getting really good at reading my parents' emotions. And if they were off, I assumed it was about me, as children often do, and I tried to fix it. And then I grew up and I did the same shit. But most of the time as an adult, either the person is off, but it has nothing to do with me at all, or the person's just like introverted or tired or something. And I'm taking that to mean that they hate me. So here's an example. At the last company I worked for, there was this dude who was just like, I mean, I don't know. He was just bitchy, I guess. But there were people at work that he really liked and was nice to. I just kind of wasn't one of them. And I always felt like he just, he didn't like me. There's something wrong with me. And I remember this one time, my boss, she was an Aries. She had, so she had this like very big personality. She was like boisterous and loud and funny. And she asked him to be in this hilarious video she was making. And when she went to record him, he just started going, I don't have time for this. I'm very busy. I can't be bothered with your little video. And she thought it was hysterical. And she kept it and she put it in her video montage. And I was like, holy fucking shit. If that had been me, I would have been so triggered. I would have taken it so personally, but she didn't give a shit. She was like, lol, this is great footage. It's going in the vid. Like she she just didn't take it on. To her, it was just him being the curmudgeon he was. And not only did it not mean anything about her, it was also hilarious and great content. And that was such medicine for me to witness because it was so different from how I'd been showing up. To me, this guy was scary and triggering and that became very personal. And here's this other person who he treats the exact same way. And she's like, whatever, dude. 
I had another experience recently where my roommate was about to go camping alone, which like anytime a woman tells me she's about to go camping alone, I go into full on true crime mode. And I'm like, well, this is a suicide mission and you are probably about to get murdered. So I was like, cool, cool. Can you share your location with me on your phone in case anything happens? And she got this look on her face and she said, oh, you know, actually, I'm already sharing it with Dylan. Let's say Dylan was the name of the guy she was hanging out with. And I just had this immediate feeling. I was like, oh, she doesn't want me to know her location because we're not as close as I think we are. She's setting a boundary with me because she doesn't want to be friends with me the same way that I want to be friends with her. Fast forward a couple of months, she's about to go camping again. By the way, the amount of times this girl goes camping alone will eventually be the death of me with my anxiety. I'm like, girl, I beseech you just like watch one season of Dateline. Anyway, she's about to go camping again. And I was like, oh, do you have pepper spray to bring with you? And she was like, yes, totally. Also, I would share my location with you, but I'm already sharing it with Dylan. And it sucks so much battery energy from my phone, the more people I share it with. And in my head, I was like, what? Like, A, I did not even know that about sharing your location. But B, here I was thinking that her not wanting to share her location with me was some kind of boundary she was setting because she didn't want to get close. And actually, it was just totally logistical, had nothing to do with me at all. But my programming, that neural freeway that got built in childhood was like, you're not wanted. When you try to get close to others, they push you away. That was that old dad programming. And so... When I take things personally, that's where my mind goes right away. This knee jerk reaction. It takes me, you know, some time to like open up and find space around that wound and be like, maybe this isn't about me at all. The last thing I want to talk about before I talk about the healing part is the way that I take life personally. Like something will happen that I don't like. And maybe I like, maybe it really hurts. Actually, I would say usually it's it, something that I really don't like. And I'll take it as a personal offense from God. I'll be like, this is how I know that God doesn't love me. And this actually happens a lot for me with heartache around rom romantic situations not working out. And I think the reason my mind goes there so fast in romance is because that's where I get triggered the most. That's where my heartbreak lies. So that's where I get emotionally overwhelmed and start yelling at God and being like, you did this. <laughs> and this is how I know you don't give a shit about me or, or you're trying to hurt me. This happened because you like hurting me. It's like, I'll be watching the news and some fucking tribe in the Amazon just got bulldozed by a logging company and all of them died or whatever unimaginable tragedy is like uh, unfolding in the world at the time. And I'm like, God has it out for me because I'm still single. Not to say that we're not entitled to our pain, whatever that looks like. We totally are. And of course, me being single is about a lot more than me being single. It's about uh, loneliness and like beliefs I have about being lovable. But, but when I'm in so much pain, I can't see that there's tremendous suffering all around me. And it's not like God hates everyone who suffers and that's why they suffer. You know, it's not like God hates that tribe in the Amazon, but my relationship to God is just so fragile. Like I essentially have anxious attachment style with God. When things are going well, I'm like, holy shit, I am a beloved child of the universe. I am guided by angels. It's 11-11. Like, I see you, Archangel Michael, or whatever. 
And then my heart gets broken and I'm like, you're all a bunch of sadistic fuckers. Am I just an experiment to you? It's like, it's never about life doing what life does and the inherent suffering of the human experience. It's about God or the universe or whatever it is, higher power doesn't love me because otherwise this wouldn't be happening. I take it personally, in other words. And it's such a painful place to be because it's powerless. It's the feeling of being at the mercy of a malevolent force, which in many ways echoes the way I felt all the time growing up. So powerless and so at the mercy of scary, violent, unpredictable people. So what's been helpful for me in all of this? When I think about how I've healed my relationship to parentification and the way I took my mom's emotional pain personally and felt responsible for it and took my dad's inability to love me personally, the biggest healing piece for me has been setting boundaries. So here's a good example of that. A couple years ago, my mom and her partner came out to visit me and it was their last night in town. So we all went to this like fancy, nice dinner. And at dinner, I started talking about the actress Frances McDormand. She's been a big advocate for women in Hollywood not getting plastic surgery. And I'd heard this story that she was at a Hollywood party and she was going around to all the women there and like chastising them about getting plastic surgery. And my mom said something like, well, women won't be given opportunities in Hollywood unless they get work done. That's just a fact. And I was like, well, I don't know if you can say that that's true 100 percent of the time, you know, like look at Frances McDormand. She actually works a lot. And my mom shot me this look that was like, how dare you? And she got up and left the table, went to the bathroom, came back and wouldn't talk to me for the rest of the night. And then got, they, they got in their, my, they got in their car. Her partner said bye to me. She would not say goodbye. It was their last night in town, left town, did not say goodbye to me at all. Later, I would learn that this was because I disagreed with my mom and she felt that that was deeply disrespectful of me. My mom worked in the film industry for many years and she felt like I should have deferred to her in that moment because I didn't know anything about how the film industry worked. By not agreeing with her, she felt like I was disrespecting her and all the years she spent working in the film industry and she couldn't even look at me because she was so upset that I disrespected her in that way. In other words, my mom took me not agreeing with her very personally. In her mind, I'm not allowed to disagree and we're not allowed to have a debate or discussion about specific topics because it means something like, I don't respect her. I don't value her. I'm not loving her the way she deserves to be loved. I'm criticizing her. As a four, eight, you know, 13 year old experiencing that kind of thing, my response was to be like, I'm so, so sorry. Please don't be mad at me. I messed up. But this didn't happen when I was a child. <laughs> this happened when I was in my 30s. And so I was like, okay, bye, mom. <laughs> and that was that for me. We didn't talk until my mom broached the conversation with me. And when she did, I was like, hey, I'm sorry that that's what came up for you. But me having a different opinion doesn't mean any of the things you made it mean in your mind. And I can't agree going forward to always agree with you in order to avoid conflict with you. I'm allowed to have my own opinion, even if you think that opinion's wrong. And by the way, I don't take it personally that you think that I was wrong about that thing with Francis McDormand. That's fine. So in other words, I put a boundary 
firmly in place that communicated as your daughter, I'm not going to take responsibility for your emotional well-being and I'm not going to walk on eggshells and silence myself so that I don't get in trouble with you when you take something personally that's not personal. So that's been a huge shift for me because now when my mom has one of these upsets, it's much easier for me to be like, your response isn't personal to me. It's about you and I'm not going to take it on. I recently saw a post on Insta from the holistic psychologist that said, emotionally immature people take everything personally. And then it went on to say, they are deeply activated by perceived criticism because they feel a lot of internal shame. So they constantly feel the need to defend themselves. Both of my parents take things personally in this exact way where they can't stand to feel criticized, even when you're not criticizing them, like you're having a different opinion or you're telling them they hurt your feelings and they deflect or ice me out or rage at me or tell me I'm bad for some reason in response. And growing up with that really led me to be a doormat for a lot of my life. So the medicine for me is in not making their response and emotional immaturity personal to me anymore. It doesn't mean anything about me the way I thought it did when I was a kid. And as an adult, I get to set boundaries with them to ensure that my emotional well-being is intact, right? Like my focus is on me and what I need. But what about when I take things personally? I had this experience once. I was at a gas station trying to put air in my tires. And for 10 minutes, I was fucking with that air machine trying to get it to work. And I couldn't for the life of me figure out what I was doing wrong. It just wasn't working. Air was not getting into my tires. And finally... Literally after 10 minutes, this guy walks up to me and goes, excuse me, ma'am, just so you know, that machine is broken. And if that wasn't the perfect metaphor, dude, who knows how much longer I would have messed with that thing thinking I must be the problem. It must be about something that I'm doing wrong. When the whole time the problem had nothing to do with me, it was never about me. I mean, it was about me in the sense that I kept trying again and again to get something broken to work because I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that nothing I did or didn't do could possibly change the outcome. The wasting of the time and the self-blame, that was about me. But the brokenness of the machine, the intense meltdown of my mom, the rage of my father, the emotional unavailability of the dude, that had nothing to do with me. And I think about that metaphor a lot when I think about what healing has looked like for me in my romantic relationships where guys are lying or cheating or playing mind games or all the bullshit I've experienced as a heterosexual woman trying to find love, right? Like the neural freeway that was paved for me years ago was like, you're not loved because something's wrong with you. That's the dad wound. But I pull out my machete and I start clearing a new path. It's not paved. There's no carpool lane but I can see it. I can see that it's a path. And it says, sometimes it's not about you. Sometimes the machine is broken. And this is what my therapist calls challenging your thoughts, which is great. But here's the thing. When we take things personally, in my opinion, it's a red flag that there's something much deeper at play. At least that's what's true for me. And here's what I want to say about that. Yes, I challenge my thoughts. I remember the broken machine and I pave a new neural pathway. But that doesn't go far enough for me because a thought isn't neutral. 
It's not a fucking cloud in the sky floating around that I can just observe from a neutral place and replace with another floaty cloud thought. To me, it's more like swimming in peanut butter. Imagine you're swimming in peanut butter that's like shoulder high and you're fucking struggling through the peanut butter, but you need to figure your shit out because there's a crocodile behind you who's very good at swimming in peanut butter and that crocodile is coming for you. If a crocodile is coming for you, you don't just think, huh, you know, getting eaten by a crocodile would be very bad for my health. What is the solution here? Maybe I should just challenge this thought that I'm having that I should just give up because I'm about to die, right? Like replace that with a more productive thought. No, that's not what you're going to do. And that's not realistic because you're fucking terrified. You're in fight or flight. You're running for your actual life. There's a massive emotional component associated with the thoughts that you're having about the crocodile chasing you through the peanut butter. For me, that crocodile is the neural freeway thought. The thought we go to so fast when we take things personally. In my personal story, those thoughts are like, people don't want me, or I don't get to have love from a man because there's something wrong with me, or God loves other people, but not me. Those deep, 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 painful ass thoughts that got drilled into me at a young age that love zooming around on the neural freeway. Those thoughts are the crocodiles that come up when I take things personally. They're scary and vicious and dangerous, sometimes literally dangerous because they have led me to suicidal ideation. My suicidal ideation crocodile is I'll never be loved. I'll be alone forever. And when that gets deeply triggered, it's literally been dangerous for me. Those are the times I've thought seriously about suicide. Just challenging whether that crocodile is real isn't enough for me because it doesn't do anything about the terror and the fear and the despair. It doesn't address the emotional component of being chased by the thought. When those thoughts are coming after us, like the crocodile, I, for me, I need to address the pain behind it. Like, yes, challenge the thought, but first acknowledge you're scared. Acknowledge your heart has been broken, whether that's right now or in the past and it's getting triggered right now. Acknowledge that you're exhausted from constantly trying to outrun the crocodiles in your own mind, right? Acknowledge that you're fucking sad. And in the case of suicidal ideation, acknowledge that this genuinely feels like life or death. Taking things personally, it should really more be called hearing the great echo of your deepest wound. Like instead of being like, oh, did you take that personally? It should be like, oh, did you hear the great echo of your deepest fucking wound? Because that's what it is. Even in that situation with my roommate, it's not like she didn't share her location with me. And then I went in my room and like cried and had a meltdown. I had the thought. I felt a little sad. I went on with my day. But when I take the time to look behind that thought where I took something personally, that thought is always the great echo of one of my deepest wounds. The wound of, I want to be close to you, but you don't want to be close to me, dad. You know, so even when it doesn't knock us over with pain, taking things personally is still that deep pain running the show from behind the scenes. So when I think about how I heal from taking things personally, it's a lot about acknowledging that it's happening because of this deep emotional component that wants to be seen, wants to be acknowledged. And when I can do that, when I can slow down and go, oh, this thought that like, dude doesn't want me because I don't play the game or my roommate doesn't really want to be friends because she's not sharing her location. 
these are crocodiles chasing me. So before I challenge the thought, I'm going to acknowledge that I'm scared because I think I don't get to have love. I'm sad because I feel unwanted. These thoughts, these crocodiles, these are the great echoes of my deepest wounds. And when I can get to that space of acknowledging, then I can see that the crocodiles are me. I'm the swimmer stuck in the peanut butter and I'm the crocodile. Once upon a time, the crocodile was an outside person. For me, it was my mom and dad. They were the crocodiles. And before them, their parents were the crocodiles. And before them, their parents and on and on. That's the cycle of abuse. That's the nature of intergenerational trauma. But now I'm the one telling myself she doesn't really want to be friends with me. I'm the one telling myself I'll always be alone because I don't know how to play the game. It's not that it's my fault. Becoming the crocodile is a natural response to abuse. It's just that like that crocodile is a lot less scary when I realize it's me. Those are my thoughts. Those are my wounds. That crocodile chasing me, she's just the echo of my deepest wounds. She's not the truth. So I have to work with that first, with that pain. And once I do, and once I've like taken care of those emotional needs by grieving, by screaming into my pillow, sobbing and telling God to fuck off forever <laughs> or whatever it is, like getting in, in the bathtub, getting into child's pose, then I can challenge the thought. Then I can be like, oh, maybe the machine is broken. Oh, maybe he's scared of intimacy and my honesty triggered him. Oh, maybe she didn't want to share her location for a reason I don't know about that's totally logistical, right? Like maybe my dad's inability to love me is about my dad, right? I love challenging the thoughts, but when the thought is a crocodile chasing you through peanut butter, I think first we have to acknowledge that underneath that, what we're really dealing with is scary and painful, right? It's the great echo of our deepest wounds. Okay, that was a lot of metaphors. Renee, <laughs> how are you doing over there? I am just like, you are hitting the nail on the head with all of this. I love your ability to just storytell and the way in which you make sense of all of your life experiences and how it you're coming out on the other side with all this wisdom that you've gained. And so I'm just really appreciating and holding like that these stories are going to go far and wide and, and support people in their own journey and healing. Oh, thanks, Renee. I hope that's true. I hope it is supportive. And you are someone who I just feel so like, um, I feel such a connection with you. And I think part of like feeling so open is about like knowing that you and I are going to share this conversation. So let me jump in. Let me ask you this first question. How does growing up around abuse impact our tendency to take things personally? Well, first, I want to say that, like, when you hit me up for this episode and like talking about like, taking things first, I was like, oh my gosh, like, so many things are going on in my head. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to mess nobody up <laughs> if I say something wild and out of pocket. But here I am being vulnerable and open and just having a conversation with Remy and whoever hears it, hears it. So take what resonates and leave what does not. Yes. <laughs> always, always, always. Always. So the question, being one more time, how does, you know, growing up around abuse impact our tendency to take things personally? Yeah. And I think your story illustrated it so beautifully and like just chill. It's hard to not take things personally as a child because we're growing up in a system that in theory is supposed to be caring for us. Like everything is going to be personal from like 
why did they get a toy and I didn't get a toy or why did they get that color and I didn't get that color even if you hate that color like it's just inevitable we're kids we're growing we're trying to make sense of the world right and attachment we're attaching we're trying to figure out what we can get what needs we can get met what needs we we have to go elsewhere to get met and so when abuse is a part of the picture it becomes kind of convoluted and our needs kind of take a back seat to other things and so we're starting to pref we, we're learning and our nervous system is priming itself to prefer other people over ourselves. And like one of the easiest ways to kind of do that in my um, experience and in my like opinion is to like turn inward and say, what is wrong with me versus what is wrong with them? Because there's also this potential narrative that could be running in the back of someone's head around like, oh, they have things figured out. This probably comes later in life, <laughs> right? Like as an adult, it's like, oh my gosh, everyone has so much figured out. Like they have all these things. It has to be me. It has to be something that I'm doing wrong. And then there are different ways that we learn how to internalize what it means when we take something personal. And that could be, we could either lash out, we could get really upset. We could like totally collapse and like be in blame of ourselves, right? Like there's so many different ways in which taking things personally can manifest for us. But when abuse is involved early in life, we're not really giving that chance or that opportunity to see something opposite reflected, right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't have someone coming in to interrupt us. Like, oh no, honey, like it's okay. Like we didn't have spaghetti for dinner tonight. Because, like I was going to make spaghetti, but we didn't have it. Not because you were bad or you did something wrong, but it was just, you know, I was tired. So we got pizza. I don't know, like, you know, just like the there's there's really a lack of safety and connection in the environment that doesn't allow our nervous system to like calm and be to grow. Because like with there's a, a modality called NARM that really talks about how like when there's no safety and connection in the environment, we're not able to attune. But even when we try to attune, we're attuning to what can I do to make things right? because I've made things wrong, because it was me. I'm the one who interrupted or disrupted this system. That's 100% what I experienced. It was always about me. There was always something I needed to do differently. And I'm just curious, this is a little off script, but I'm just curious, like, what are the different ways that that can look as an adult if when you when you over and over again take things personally as a kid, how, like, for me, it, there was a lot of people pleasing mm -hmm. that showed up for me as an adult yeah. and a lot of, um, I mean, like literally, you know, an eating disorder, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm just curious, like kind of what is the spectrum when we're thinking about abuse and how kids will take that personally? What, what are the ramifications of that? as adults, you know, once those kids grow up and become adults? Yeah. So I think about, and what I see too, is how connection is the piece that's missing. And so we either try to connect by taking everything in and leading to like an over-responsibility, an illusion of over-responsibility, if you will. I have a mentor who I love so much and talks about like the illusion of over responsibility. That's us taking shit personal all the time when it has nothing to do with us. And then there's also the other extreme end of like isolation 
like where we just kind of melt into ourselves and we're not really as expressive because it's not safe for us to do so. Mm. Like the safest, it's like, we're always trying to access safety, whether that's changing who we are because it's not safe to actually be myself in this environment, right? And that could be the people pleasing type or whether it's like just diminishing myself and that's still changing who you are because you're not really allowing yourself to be fully expressed Mm. because that's how you recognize like, oh, I can get connection this way or I can just stay as connected as I want to be or just be completely disconnected. So that's what I would do to that. Damn, I think you hit it so hard because I was expecting you to be like, like make a list of all the things, but behind all of the things is connection, is the need for, it doesn't, it's like whatever that looks like, it, yeah, it's either like codependency, I think is it like prob- probably one of the ways, mm-hmm. um, which is I need connection and it's on me to get it. And like, I'll do everything for you. I'll take care of everything for you. I'll, ch- I'll prostrate myself for you. Like, every, you know, like the codependent thing. And then there's the other, the exact opposite way, which is like connection. I I want connection, but I know I can't get it. So I'll just keep connect. I'll just connect with myself and nobody else because I can't handle someone being about in a bad mood because that's about me. I can't handle you telling me I hurt your feelings because that's my shame, right? Like the kind of stuff that my mom would do. So yeah, I think that's like really helpful to see that no matter what it looks like, ultimately it comes down to connection. And safety in the environment of where that connection is being sought. Right. Yeah. Right. Connection is also about the need to feel safe. When we're safe, we have the ability to connect. And when we don't feel safe, it's harder to connect. And so we find ourselves in that either up or that down or that fawn response. We rate the four F's, the four flight, flight, fine, freeze responses. Wait, you just said something that like, I like my mind shut down for a second. So I was like, "Ah." um, when no, like in a good way, when you said, when we feel safe, it's easier to connect. Mm-hmm. When you grew up uh, in an abusive home and you took all of that personally, it sets you up to not feel safe. Mm-hmm. And that sets you up to not be able to connect. Because, right, like if <laughs> I'll notice, because I'm not anxiously attached in friendships, but I am anxiously attached in like romantic scenarios. So mm-hmm. if if I text a guy and he doesn't immediately text me back, I'm like, he hates me. Like this isn't ever going to happen. I shouldn't even try. Like I go into a whole tailspin. If I text a friend, I'm like, Hey, do you want to hang out on Friday? And like three days later, that friend gets back to me and is like, Oh shit. Sorry. If that had been a romantic thing in those three days, I would have gone through hell and back with Mm. when it's a friend. I'm like, Oh, cool you're back. Yeah. So what's up? You want to hang out? You know, like it like doesn't phase me in the same way. And it just really, I'm really taking in what you said. When we take things personally as kids, we don't feel safe. And when we don't feel safe, we really struggle with connection. I just like, really, I'm like, I feel like it. sometimes it takes me hearing something like 20 fucking times for me to like, always. It's totally normal. (laughs) Okay. Let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of taking things personally. That's like my coworkers in a weird mood. I wonder if I did something wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there's the taking things personally. That's like my partner doesn't want to have sex or my partner gets really irritable with me all the time. Right. When a relationship is super personal, Mm -hmm. 
how do we not take the other person's actions personally or should we to some extent, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question because in my brain, all things are personal. (laughs) Like all relationships are personal, right? But that does not mean, like there's a difference between it being personal and then taking something personally, Mm. right? And as it being a reflection of who you are, who you are not to someone, And I often invite curiosity in those instances, right? Like, can we get curious as to what it is? Like, what's the need that is not being named here? Or what's the story that you're making up? And I love that you use that phrase. Um, What did you say? You said echoes of your, when you take things personally, it's the echoes of your deepest wounds, right? Yeah. And I think that that is so beautifully put because when we are taking things personally, then whatever the story is, whatever it is we're taking personally, if we were to able to like pause long enough to flip it and just peek underneath, what is the actual need? What is the connection? What is being missed here? What is the story I'm sick telling myself about myself that, that this is meaning, right? And then challenge that, right? Like challenge yourself, but also, yes, totally fucking recognize that like, this is a visceral thing. This is a somatic experience. It's embodied because it's not just the neural pathway. It's your whole body system, right? Your whole nervous system is going to respond in a certain way. So acknowledge what is actually happening for yourself in the moment and get really good at seeing what couples with it what couples when you're taking things personally, what happens, what often happens and like allowing yourself to just recognize that like, Hey, there's something going on in in the environment. There is a disconnection or there is a need that is not being expressed. Right. And then allowing yourself to really think about and land in like, okay, how can I now see that this thing that is happening is actually not attached to me because we will make, like I have a, a a mentor who has a teaching on like assessments versus assertions. And like, there's an assessment being made, right? Assessments are all the stories we make up. Assertions are like the hardcore facts mm. of a thing, right? Like there's, I'm five too. <laughs> there's no way about that. Some people are going to say I'm tall. Some people are going to say I'm short. Those are the assessments that other people are making about it. And we do that all the fucking time. We take things personally. We're always making an assessment about something. Yeah. I love what you said about it's always personal, but it's not necessarily, it's not personal to me. It's personal, Mm -hmm. but it's not personal to me. Yeah. I don't have to take it personally. Like I don't have to take it to mean something about me. Yeah. Yeah. Like there are the facts of the situation. Like my, the fact is my roommate didn't want to share her location with me. That's the um, assertion. That's the assertion. The thing that happened, cold turkey. And the assessments were, he doesn't want to be close. Right. She doesn't like me. Like we're not going to be roommates anymore. Like it's just all the stories we then make up. Right. And then when we take, when we give ourselves a moment to like pause, right? And look at the whole assessments and the assertions side by side, and we take it in, comb through it, be like, what was actually the need that I had that wanted to be met? It was maybe connection. Maybe I was concerned about her safety, right? There's something there for you to learn. Cause it's not that like 
it's a wound. Like wounds are are meant for us to explore. That's where there's a quote that I'm don't remember who, but like wounds are where the light comes in, right? Or where the light shines out, depending on your perspective. Mm. Because I have the perspective that we're all wounded and we all have a light within us. And the wounds are the places with which we can access that light and shine when we learn how to stop the bleeding, of course. <laughs> because then it becomes reaction where we're bleeding. Like this got really gory really quickly. <laughs> but like we're bleeding, that's like the reaction, right? Versus the response. The response is like the sport or something. <laughs> but like the blood gushing, that's like the reaction. Yeah. And when we take things personally, it's often a reaction. Yeah. Rarely ever a response. Right. We're, we're reactive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I love the thing about getting curious about what need isn't getting met. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is the need that isn't getting met and where does that need come from and what does it want to tell you? And like, yeah, well, let me ask you this. Can you talk about taking things personally when a betrayal is involved? Because it feels nearly impossible not to take a betrayal personally, especially in the moment. Yeah. All betrayals. Um, I see betrayals as boundary crossings, right? And anytime there's a boundary crossed, there, in theory, (laughs) should be consequences, right? For those boundaries being crossed. Otherwise, like, what's the point of the boundary? (laughs) Like, you know, someone can continuously, like, overstep, 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 but there's no action being taken, then they're going to continue to overstep, overstep, overstep. And so when betrayal, as it relates, I'm thinking like romance. Totally. Is that what you're referring to? Like, yeah, romantic, like betrayal. In the moment, it's going to feel all, you're going to feel all sorts of things, all sorts of things, right? And the reality, when we allow ourselves to zoom out, is that it too had nothing to do with us. It was another person's inability to hold true to what we agreed to. It was someone else's inability. And yes, it impacts us. And yes, we're going to go through all the feelings, but it doesn't mean that the, the, because you cheated because I wasn't enough. It was like, no, like you cheated because you actually made a choice. You decided that you didn't want what we had or whatever reason that someone cheats. And yes, it's personal, but I think the difference between taking it personal and taking it personally is that, are we making meaning of what someone cheated? Like what that means about me. Right. Right. Versus, oh shit, this sucks. I, sorry. I got so excited. I, I like this distinction between it's personal, but I don't take it personally That is so, so beautiful because it gives us the space to be like, you cheating really fucking hurts me. It impacts Mm -hmm. me on a deep personal fucking level, but it's not about me. It's not a reflection of me. It could be like here, like I've heard people say, well, he cheated because I've been really cold or I haven't wanted to have sex or I've been really mad at him for a long time about X, Y, Z thing. And by the way, I'm just saying he, because um, these are the stories that I've heard from my girlfriends about the, the, the men that they're with, but it could be any, you know, anyone can cheat. But even in those instances, even if you're like, I haven't, slept with my partner for a long time, or I've been really mad at my partner for a long time, or like, 
there's been a lot of distance between us and whatever. It's always up to that other person to say, my sexual needs aren't getting met in this relationship. And I feel like we're not connecting and we're not intimate and we need to work on that. That is on them as as well before they make the decision to cheat. So even if like, you know, cause people can come up with all these reasons in their head why they're to blame. And I just, I love this difference between this. It's such a small distinction, but it's so powerful between it is personal, but I am not taking it personally. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we have been struggling in our relationship. That doesn't mean it's okay to go step outside of it. <laughs> it's like, that's, we have a conversation. Let's connect. Let's see what's going on. And that takes skills. <laughs> like not everyone has those kind of skills to be able to communicate so openly. And sometimes to be honest, doing that feels more risky. Yeah. It's safer to step outside of the marriage than it is to actually be vulnerable to your partner about where you are and how you're feeling because we're not all socialized the same way. And we're all conditioned by our upbringings and our experiences, but like that being able to communicate openly and honestly can like go a long way and knowing that there's nothing wrong with having needs. Right. It always comes back down to like, there's nothing wrong with having needs and connection is one of them. Yeah. I don't care how anyone slices the pie. We are social creatures. We are meant to connect with one another, albeit at different, different lines along the spectrum, right? Some people need a lot of connection. Some people need relatively little connection. Right. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to think about that so much. It's personal. But it's not personal to me. <laughs> uh, okay. Because I always love to bring it back to attachment style. How does our attachment style impact taking things personally? I would say, <laughs> and I'm pausing because I'm thinking about the ways in which we can take things personally. Right. I think back to like, when I shared the, um, we can get upset. We can withdraw. We can try to get closer, right? That like people, please, I'm going to do everything for you. I'm going to take over responsibility. Like it's all because we've internalized something that someone else, like someone else's process. And at that point, we're no longer in ourselves. Like it's, it's, and I think to the energetics of it, like we relinquished our power to someone else when we take things personally. And as it relates to attachment styles, it's like, again, there's a certain level of connection that we need. And when we grow up, like we know attachment styles are developmental delays. Like it gets stunted. Our development gets stunted. And so as an adult who's operating from an attachment style, maybe it's more anxious because you're always uncertain of what's going to happen and you have a need for connection, but you're uncertain of how to get it. There's a lack of safety in the environment. You're going to take everything in, potentially take things in personally. I can't say I'm, I'm trying to stay away from the extremes because I know it's not everything, everyone in all ways. Right. Uh, so like there's the potential to take a lot of things personally because we're trying to make sense of our environment and we're trying to make sense of how can I actually get a need met in this environment? Mm. Yeah. When I think about having anxious attachment style, when I think about like getting anxious, it's because I'm taking it personally to mean something about me, about you're not, you're not responding to my text because I did something wrong. You're not responding to my text because you don't really like me. But then when I think about the times where I feel securely attached, 
I feel secure because I'm not taking their shit personally. I'm like, oh, I haven't heard back from this friend because it's been, you know, they're busy. <laughs> or they, maybe they looked at the text and then they answered it in their head, but then they forgot to like actually and like whatever, they'll get to it later. It's because I don't, I'm not taking it on. And I think also, yeah, when I think about like being anxiously attached to God or the universe or whatever that looks like for people, you know, anxious attachment style happens because our childhoods were unpredictable. And so is life. Life is super fucking unpredictable. We don't know what's around the, the corner. We'll lean into the unknown as infinite possibilities versus infinite catastrophes. Yeah. When I feel that coming up, when I feel that, oh, this is, oh, you did this to me because you hate me. You know, mm -hmm. that's that anxious attachment. It's about me. And when I think about what it looks like to work with that energy in a different way, it's just like, yeah, I guess one thing I want to say about it is I don't I hate, I just don't want to be glib about any of this stuff because I know, especially for me, when the God one gets triggered, that's another time when I can, when my suicidal ideation comes up because how despairing it is to feel like the force that runs the universe hates me. <laughs> like. Mm -hmm. And is and is out to get me and is against me or or doesn't care about me at all. Right. Like mm -hmm. isn't trying to help me, isn't on my team, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, I guess I just want to say that, like, we go into this full body grief mm -hmm. when that anxiety that we're not loved and we don't get to have connection comes up. And for me, with the God one, it's like, how do I work with? The fact that like, what is, what is, what are the stories I start telling myself now? Because life is unpredictable. So is my childhood. Hence, I have anxious attachment and now I have to live in unpredictability. How do I change that narrative from like, this is just like childhood and I'm scared and everything's bad to this is how, I mean, what does it look? I, let me ask you. Like what, what, how, how, what is the story I can change to you? You just said something beautiful, which was like, there are infinite possibilities. I forget what author quoted that, but like, that's what I took from it. I was just like, yeah, like, because the, the reality is right. You, you are absolutely right. We live in unpredictability. We don't know when things are going to go right necessarily. We don't know when things are going to go left and go wrong. Right. And all we can do is show up in the moment and decide who we want to be. If you want to be anxious, we will be anxious. If we want to challenge that anxiety, then we can have an opportunity to choose potentially, right? Like, how do I actually want to exist in this world knowing like it? knowing we create, I'm like going off on a tangent here, but like knowing that if we create our own realities, because I'm one who believes that we can, I'm not saying we're responsible for all the shit that's happening in the world, right? But I'm saying to an extent, we have the ability to carve out a piece of the world that is made more beautiful by the way we show up in it. We can carve out a piece of the world we can create our space in the world that's more beautiful because we showed up in it. Mm -hmm. And by choosing how we want to show up in it, mm. how do you want to show up in the moment? 
And I think that this is I, my mind is like taking me to like one of my like my meditation practice. Right. And I do a lot of there's this concept called creating from the future. So I do a lot of allowing myself to go into this future version of myself where a magic wand has been waved. So fucking delusional. I don't care. It's in my imagination, my creativity, and I'm in the world that I want where all of my obstacles have been overcome. Anything that I'm facing has been overcome. All the circumstances. She knows what the fuck I did to get there. I don't know. So I go to her in my meditation practice and I ask, what did I do today that got me one step closer to you as my reality? And so that is the thing that propels me forward, takes me forward every single day as a part of my own personal practice and recognizing when I'm taking something personal, there's something up in my field. There's something up that there's something going on for me that I need to explore a little deeper, which is then doing that assessment, not assertion. What is the need? What is the thing that's missing, right? What is the the disconnect for me? And how can I get back attuned to what it is I'm needing? How can I support myself? Because everyone is literally living their own, like they're in their own life. We all have our own worlds. We all create our own. You're creating Remy's world. I'm creating Renee's world. Whoever's listening is creating their world. And they're, it's a beautiful thing to me, like a beautiful thing to be able to do. And when we take responsibility for the ways in which we want to show up, which was why I think healing is such a beautiful process and journey. And like the more people you meet along it, the more you kind of get to see like the different levels and how they've kind of shifted and flown through like some really tough shit. Like then we get to have it a, a more unique experience of the world around us where it's like, we're not just sitting in our shit because we all have it, but we're saying, okay, I, I'm tired of having shit smeared on me. Let me just get up and clean this off mm. and let me not just clean it off. Let me see what the source, what is causing this shit to come down the drain? Like it just got really gruesome again. Too. <laughs> we're gross today. <laughs> Oh my God, this meditation practice of talking to future you and being and envisioning her and being like, she did it. She fucking did it. How did she do it? Let me ask her how she did it. What do I need to do today to get to where you are? Oh my God. Instead of sitting around and being, not that I even am mad at this, Sometimes you just need to do this, but yeah, but it's a choice, right? Instead of being like, God hates me. Fuck you, God. You did this. No, no, no. Being in my space and being like, I'm hurting so bad. This feels fucking terrible. I hate this. And I see a future me. She didn't fucking kill herself. She didn't say I'm never doing life again. Like, I don't want any more relationships. I don't want to know any more people. She didn't say um, I'm going to move into, uh, you know, like a silo. I'm going to move to the middle of nowhere where no one can find, you know what I mean? Like she didn't give up. She kept going. What did she do? And what does it look like to you to not have given up in this future vision? Like if you have relationships that are fulfilling, right? If you have all the money, if you're living where you want to live, if you're doing the things you want to do, the hobbies, the creativity, all your life zones are like what you want them to be. Right. And it's fulfilling and you feel good. Like, let it be that and, and bigger and beyond. Right. And I'm like, I'm recognizing now I'm like, yeah, this is about like meditation teacher training. 
because I am a certified meditation teacher. I didn't even know that, Renee. Yeah, I I trained with Justin Michael Williams. And so I'm a freedom meditation teacher. Oh, my Mm -hmm. God. Well, everyone should fucking take your class because (laughs) I feel like that that is so healing that piece of like here's something we can do when we're taking something really personally. And we're in, for me, it's like, and I'm in danger because of it, because I can do that. I can take something personally to the point that I have the, the like the suicidal thoughts come up because I think it's never going to get any better. And it's about the universe hating me or about, I'm always going to be alone or whatever. And I want to say like, as it relates to suicidal, like ideation, when you're in such extreme conditions, Like, it's totally fucking reasonable to not want to be in those conditions anymore. It just has more to do with not wanting to be suffering anymore. Yeah. Right. Right. Because the conditions around you are like, this makes no sense. And like the pain is so big and the perceived, even the, the, the felt gap between connection feels so just vast because it's this isolation away from everything and everyone is like no one will ever be able to relate right and when we go to the extremes regardless of which extreme it is we're running an operating system that is keeping us disconnected versus bringing us back towards the middle where we're like there's community where there's support where we can attach where we can recognize like i'm not the only one and there's something about that recognizing and seeing and feeling felt and heard of not being the only one that can make things just feel even a smidge better. And sometimes that's all we need is just a smidge better to break out of that loop. Right. Right. Cause you speak about the neural pathways and yes, those grooves, those suckers will be real wide and whew. they are paved. <laughs> Very paved. They are paved. They get funding every year. No. <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. This They are subsidized, honey. Okay. I mean, I feel like we've addressed this last question, but if there's anything else you want to add, I, w- I did want to ask if taking things personally is a chronic issue for us, what does the healing look like? And I know we sort of, I sort of mentioned earlier, the shame piece that can come up, but I don't know like what your thoughts or experiences with, with people who are sort of there, that's their go-to. Yeah, it's protective. I don't know if we talked about that. But like how taking taking things personally is, is this is what I do to get my needs met. I have to take it in in this personal way to get my needs met. And so it becomes about how do we now recognize when that is actually getting in the way of the things that we're actually wanting to experience in our life and taking a look at it in community with support, like, It's so when you said that, like, I thought of the example with my mom, where my mom was like, "Um, you don't agree with me. So I can't handle this. And I'm not speaking to you. And I'm leaving. When I think about that in terms of this is my mom trying to get her needs met. That's totally true. By the way, like, um, a lot of us grew up around narcissism. And again, so people know narcissism isn't a switch that goes on and off. It's a spectrum and there are different types. There's grandiose, there's covert, blah, blah, blah. Um, So you can see narcissism to varying degrees in different people. But um, it's interesting because like, I think that's exactly it. 
my mom was trying to get her needs met in that moment. And, and instead by taking it personally, she actually prevented her needs from getting met. Cause I think what my mom needed, my mom needs to feel valued. She didn't grow up feeling valued and agreement is how you val how she perceives value. Right. And like the disagreement and her shutting you off was her getting her needs met in a different way though. It was the protect, like I need to protect myself now. Like I couldn't connect with you. So I'm going to protect myself and shut you out of my system. And there's a lot of us who walk around with systems that operate in that way. Right. Because it's easier and it's sometimes all we are used to. And oftentimes there's no one in our environment who's willing to say, no, I put up a boundary to have that conversation that you had with her, right? About like, no, we can disagree and still be in connection. And I still value you as a person. Like it has nothing to do with the things that you were making it mean, all the assessments you were making about it. Oh man, that is so powerful to think about when we're taking things personally, we're actually trying to protect ourselves. And, and that no matter what it looks like, whether it's like my mom working through her um, sort of like covert narcissism and, and those reactions, or like um, me with my roommate or whatever, we're always, yeah, it is a form of self-protection because it's like the wound comes up and we're trying to like protect ourselves from feeling the pain of the wound. And like, or we're trying to see the wound. Sometimes that's what I think it is too, is like the wound is like, I want you to see me, God damn it. Yeah, let's do something with this. <laughs> like, can you tend to me? <laughs> right, stop ignoring me. And that's another way of trying, like a self-protection, right? Yeah, that's oh, really, that's really powerful. Renee, thank you so, so, so much from the bottom of my heart. I just adore you and I just, Feel like when you come on it's we're just two gals gabbing it up over the deepest pain of our lives <laughs> you sharing more of your deep pains than me no <laughs> well but but i i like so deeply honor and appreciate your perspectives and what you offer it's so beautiful and if people want to get a hold of you if they want to take your meditation course or or work with you how, how can they find you they can find me on IG or my website, which is my first last, first middle and last name. So ReneeSineeTate.com or my IG is at ReneeSineeTate. And how do you spell Shanae just so people know? S-H-A-N-E-E. Cool. And Renee is R-E-N-E-E. Two E's. I'm a double E gal. And if you want to get a hold of me, I also have two E's in my Insta. If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Insta at the Patrama Party or my personal Insta at Remy's R-E-M-E-E-Z. You can also email me at patramaparty at gmail.com. If you have a topic you'd like to hear covered, hit me up. Also, if you want to join the Patrama Party community, you can find us on Facebook. It's such a cool group of listeners. We check in with each other about what we're going through and offer support and resources. So if you're into that, just search the Patrama Party and I'll add you. And speaking of support, if this pod has helped you and you have a minute, rate, review, subscribe. It really does help. And I read all the reviews. And if you'd like to support the pod, you can. You can give a dollar a month, $5, et cetera. I pour myself into this podcast. I put so much time and energy into it. So if you're able and moved to, just go to podcasters.spotify.com 
forward slash pod forward slash show forward slash the Patrama party. They don't make it easy. It's very annoying. And scroll down to the support button, but you can also find the support option on Spotify. That is super easy. And until next time, baby, enjoy the party. Bye. information provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only. None of the material presented is intended to be a substitute for psychotherapy, counseling, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you need to speak with a professional, find one local to you and reach out directly.